0: Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. This episode is sponsored by Near.
1: Money is changing. So where do we go from here? Through high-profile interviews and thought-provoking analysis, join Michael Casey and Sheila Warren for the Money Reimagined podcast, as they explore the connection between finance, human culture, and our increasingly digital lives. And just a reminder, Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. And now, here's Michael Casey.
2: Hello and welcome to Money Reimagined. I'm Michael Casey. This week, I'm coming to you from the Bermuda Tech Summit in Bermuda. Don't at me. Sheila Warren, sadly, is not with me in person, but she is joining us remotely. Mm -hmm, Tears. As anyone who listened to one of our earlier episodes featuring Bermuda Premier David Burt will know, his government has taken a uniquely proactive approach to encouraging the development of a crypto, blockchain, and digital asset ecosystem in the territory. This week's event is geared around showcasing that approach. On the one hand, the model emphasizes a clear but tough regulatory framework, born of Bermuda's long history as a regulated financial hub. On the other, it encourages a private sector-led route to innovation, rather than government initiatives such as a central bank digital currency. I had the honor of discussing all this in the opening session of the event Wednesday during a fireside chat with Premier Burt. One area that Bermuda appears well positioned to lead the world in crypto finance is in insurance. The Territory is one of the largest insurance and reinsurance hubs in the world. And as our guest today will argue, there is an almost insatiable demand for viable insurance products among crypto providers and users, as well as some unique opportunities to use smart contracts and other crypto methods to innovate within the traditional insurance industry. Joseph Zielkowski is the CEO of Realm, which describes itself as the leading global insurer for companies operating in new and emerging business sectors, including Digital Asset, Web3, Cannabis, and Alternative Therapeutics. Joseph was a moderator at Coindesk's ideas conference last week and a featured speaker at the Bermuda Summit. But before we invite him into the conversation, let's welcome Sheila. Hi, Sheila. How are you doing hey, over Michael. there?
0: Well, you know, I'm I'm jealous of your warm weather and sunshine, but uh, yeah. doing pretty well.
2: Okay, good. Just letting you know that the temperature ranges between seventy seven and
0: Yeah, yeah, degrees.
2: yeah. In fact, if you look at the the forecast, it's the same way. Breezy, nice, blue water. Yeah. It's not bad. Um, it's, it's good to be here from a, I think, from a professional standpoint. It's just there's something really quite unique about the way Bermuda is positioning itself. Like, you know, here it is, this little island economy, on the one hand, like about as trad fire as you can get in terms of and you walk around the place and you can see the impact of the banks and all, this, you know, all of that banking and insurance history is here. And on the other, trying to do this really rather radical thing with, uh, with crypto.
0: I think it's interesting to think about the history of Bermuda. We did have Premier Burt on the show, as you noted, one of our very early episodes, as I recall. And in Bermuda, really is a, a center, a locus for innovation in the insurance industry. In fact, in San Francisco last year, uh, the insurance biggest insurance conference in the world is actually hosted was hosted here, and and the premier and his entire staff were were featured uh, in that very prominently because of the role that they play. And so it's very interesting to think about. How we think about liability in the crypto industry and in the ecosystem? What does it mean a decentralized environment to attach or assign liability? What is actually being insured? I'm really interested. It's a, it's a different frame on things. And what better jurisdiction than to explore in this, explore these topics than, than a place that has been kind of pioneering innovation in this space for a long time?
2: Yeah, look, and I'll just say one thing before we get Joe in, and I think it's actually a relevant way to start here. One of the complaints you do hear a little bit about the crypto community operating in Bermuda, there's a lot of high-end effort to build a framework that that works to the sector's advantage, but not a lot of banking licenses being handed out. And banking like always, as we've known for so long, is such a hurdle for crypto companies. So they kind of need the banks there to support them. Of course, they now have dual bank um, with its license and that's people are hopeful that that's going to be a, a driver of those services that these providers need but it's interesting how they just lock still into this you know dependence on these correspondent banking relationships and the same old problem we've had like this chicken and egg problem is is still there but you know they're pushing through it and trying to get get going but you know a lot of old sort of incumbent players it seems to me still sort of digging their heels in and resisting but Anyway, on a similar note, why don't we talk to get Joe in? Because just as banking services are badly needed by, by crypto players, so too are insurance services, which run into similar problems at times. But Joe, why don't you uh, talk through before we get into that, like what's what's Realm all about and sure. you know
1: what your journey's been? Well, Michael and Sheila, thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here on your show. You know, Realm is, um, you know, as you mentioned, very deep into the insurance space for companies operating across the crypto and Web3 ecosystem. And that really dates back to receipt of our license in December of 2019 from the Bermuda Monetary Authority. And the receipt of that license was really the culmination of working very closely with the BMA for nearly 12 months to get them comfortable with the idea of regulating brand new capacity that was laser focused on providing dedicated support to companies pursuing services and products within this new and emerging technology. And you know the reason I think we were so open to working with the BMA over, you know, nearly 12 months was because we were proposing to provide capacity for a scope of risks and exposures that the rest of the traditional insurance and reinsurance marketplace wanted almost nothing to do with, right? And if you look at why there was such a lack of appetite and accommodation within the existing insurance marketplace in 2016 and 2019 and 2022 a lot of that has to do with you know really kind of three things so number one insurance is a very backwards looking industry right so much of it is predicated on the availability of data for historical loss experience which is used to inform expectations related to future loss experience. And so when you have a whole bunch of data to crunch, it makes it relatively easy to understand adequate pricing and adequate reserving practices on a go forward basis. But if you lack that historical data set, you're almost at an impasse with most insurance companies from a product development standpoint. Um, If you couple that then with the headline risk, which is Silk Road, money laundering, crypto being used for all these nefarious purposes, you then couple the kind of technical considerations with reputational considerations. You know, the other component is premium. You know, insurance and reinsurance, I mean, we're talking about balance sheets with 10 and 11 figures in some cases, and these companies are generating a significant amount of money by providing capacity for traditional risks for companies operating in traditional industries. And so when you look at the comparative, you know, kind of hard to quantify pool of potential premium that they could be generating from this, un, you know, this not well understood technology with something that's considered to be reputationally damaging at best, and in some cases, criminal, you understand why the larger insurance marketplace has chosen to avoid the sector as a class. And, and our approach to it has been, I would say, almost completely opposite of that having operated in the traditional insurance space and also significant, you know, a significant amount of time on the alternative side of the insurance world, you know, I have a sense for the things that slow innovation down in the insurance world. And I also have a sense for how to speed up innovation to, to deal with complex risks. Um, and then on top of that, I have a very sincere appreciation for the potential of blockchain-based technologies and digital ledgers to change the way that a lot of these industries work. And so much of the thesis for Realm was based on the fact that there are people doing amazing things within this emerging sector. And even though we couldn't rely on historical data, what we felt like we were capable of doing is interacting very closely with these insureds and their broking partners to get comfortable with business propositions on a case-by-case basis. And from that point of clarity and information, make underwriting decisions to support these companies with insurance products. And I
2: gather that once you'd done that, the demand was, was huge because everybody needed it, right? Like talk a little bit about your growth and, and what, you know, what has come through the door in terms of uh, you know, submissions and requests. I mean, we
1: have literally over the last nearly three years seen more than 3,000 submissions. We started off with $0 of premium and you know, we've grown our book, which is largely comprised of companies operating at every sub-sector within the crypto ecosystem uh, to companies operating in more than 30 countries around the world. Companies that are traded on more than a dozen national exchanges. So some of the biggest and most well-known risks in the space, all the way down to very early stage pre-revenue companies that are in need of insurance products in order to support their ability to scale. And so you know, we don't necessarily operate with declarative statements by class. We don't say we are not going to provide coverage to companies that are operating in an unregulated way. We say we want to make sure we have transparency about your team, about your financial situation, about your investors, about your milestones and go forward communication to your investors. And if we can get comfortable with the facts and circumstances of your business, bigger, small, US or non US, we're going to put in the time to put ourselves in a position to offer a mutually beneficial conclusion to a lot of these companies that deserve the coverage that they need in order to scale their business.
0: So uh, could you walk our listeners through just generally insurance and reinsurance because I think these are terms that you know we're all familiar with and they're the backbone of the industry but just explain to people like how do those concepts intersect what do they mean give a little
1: Sure. So you know insurance is a way to transfer risk right so if you're an operating company and you provide, let's say, a form of financial service, your clients are depending on you to execute that service in a way that's to their benefit. And if you do something that causes them financial damage, you're going to get sued. And if there's a judgment against you, you're going to have to pay not only your legal expenses, but their legal expenses and any sort of damages arising from your failure to provide those expected services. So insurance de-risks that exposure because it allows a company to pay a premium in exchange for a limit of protection from a third-party insurance company. So in the event that you get sued, instead of compromising cash flow from your company's operating cash, you've already paid that premium and you have an insurance company that's going to step in up to the limit of of protection provided, and they're going to get your back in any covered instances. So really the benefit of an insurance product is to put companies in a position to transfer risks that they either don't want to retain or they can't retain for one reason or another. And reinsurance, perhaps not ironically, functions in the exact same way. It's just insurance for insurance companies. So if you imagine an insurance company like Realm, that's provided hundreds of policies to hundreds of companies operating across the crypto ecosystem, we're retaining 100% of the risk arising from the policies that we've issued. And at some point, it would be great to transfer that risk kind of on a portfolio basis to another insurance company. And that insurance company would traditionally take the form of a reinsurance company, right? Reinsurance companies are in the business of providing insurance to insurance companies. And when, of course, one of the challenges, Sheila, that we've had in this space is the same challenges that all of these companies have had finding primary insurance we've had finding reinsurance and so we've had to get creative around the way that we still provide really great and substantive solutions to our insureds but also manage the exposure on the back end by aggregating all of these risks on our balance sheet
0: near is a revolutionary yet simple web3 platform for building decentralized apps Designed by developers for developers, over 700 projects are now building on NIR's fast, secure, and scalable protocol. Whether you're a crypto native launching DeFi apps, NFT marketplaces, and play-to-earn games, or looking to migrate your project from Web2, NIR makes it easy to build Web3 for the masses. NIR offers developers a variety of tools, resources, and support for building apps, empowering communities, and creating a more fair, inclusive, and equitable future. Start your Web3 developer journey now by visiting NEAR at NEAR.org. That's N-E-A-R.org. All
2: All right, so tell us a little bit about what those creative solutions are, because I think, you know, this is where we talk about uh, the off-chain opportunity and the on-chain. You, you described this, these hundreds of submissions that came in because there's so many crypto companies that need really just traditional insurance. They need, you know, D&O insurance and everything else. But what you're talking about is like trying to create, find a creative solution to resolve this reinsurance problem, which actually brings us to on-chain uh, methods, right? Or, or, or maybe a combination of both. Why don't you just
1: lay out what those creative solutions are? Sure. So the idea is, um, you know, if you look at the composition of our book, right? And, and Michael, you're right. You look at the products that we're issuing, which I think is kind of an important aspect of this whole conversation, right? It is directors and officers liability insurance, it is professional liability insurance, it's cyber insurance, it's commercial crime coverage, right? These are traditional coverages that we have modified in a way that provides a scope of coverage that's relevant to companies operating in the space. So for example, our directors and officers liability coverage is expanded to provide coverage for claims arising from token issuances. Our commercial crime policy is designed to cover the entire spectrum of digital asset custody exposures, ranging from cold to hot and MPC-based solutions. So so you get that idea. And then we have a, a number of innovative insurance products that we've executed on, which we can discuss, I'm sure, later on in this conversation. But as it relates to reinsurance, right, our big challenge is that it is nearly impossible for us to provide a limit of coverage that's commensurate, with the exposure and also the demand of the companies that we're insuring. You know, if we're talking about early stage pre-revenue companies, maybe they don't need more than a million or $2 million worth of coverage. But if we're talking about the largest you know, MPC technology provider in the space, you could argue they need hundreds of millions of coverage. And if we don't have reinsurance, where do we go for a solution? And much the way of you know, our pursuit in getting Realm license, which is to say the traditional solutions weren't working, so we didn't stop there. We looked at you know, taking it back to the pedigree of Bermuda and the fact that the most amazing things and the most exciting things and the most creative things that have happened in insurance and reinsurance over the last 40 years have taken place on this island, right? And so much of that has to do with the use of collateralized reinsurance facilities that are used to provide capacity for risks that the traditional reinsurance marketplace just doesn't want. Um, and a perfect traditional example of the use of these solutions comes in the form of catastrophe property coverage. So you know, the genesis of these alternative capital-funded reinsurance facilities was in the wake of Hurricane Andrew back in the early 90s, you know, massive destruction rendered insurance and reinsurance companies insolvent. Capacity goes is fleeting, right? It it evaporates almost overnight. And all of these primary insurers still need a way to transfer this risk. In the absence of traditional reinsurance capacity, people came to Bermuda and started using these kind of special purpose vehicles to access capital from hedge funds and from pensions, right? And from essentially investors that don't have any traditional experience in providing insurance or reinsurance, but were given the opportunity to fund that capital into fully regulated, fully transparent reinsurance vehicles, create a source of new capacity that didn't exist, and also give them the opportunity to generate an uncorrelated rate of return as an investment product that they really couldn't get anywhere else. And from that kind of turmoil and disaster was born this whole new kind of specialized way of creating reinsurance capacity where it didn't exist.
2: One of the things I find interesting about this is that it has parallels with what's happened within the DeFi world itself, where you know, these, the use of collateral and smart contracts as a way to bring confidence, I'm going to say, rather than maybe insurance, to investors in things like you know, algorithmic stablecoins, like DAI, right? Sounds to me like what you're doing is taking something along those models and now applying it to a backup. For the sake of, of uh, building this these new vehicles for for reinsurance, so I, I just yeah, I'd like to see what that what would that mean from uh, an investor's point of view. I am you know an investor, a fund, whatever. I have a a pile of ETH and I'm staking it right now. What can I do with that? Walk us through how I could with that staked ETH now you know engage in this alternative
1: application of those funds. Yeah, that's a a great question. So so we all know that ETH, you know, recently just transitioned to proof of stake, right? And with that has come an influx of ETH that's being committed to ETH validators in support of this new proof of stake consensus mechanism. And and if you think about you know what is the objective with these investors that are staking ETH, right? Their objective is to put that ETH to work so that they can earn a reward, right? And in many cases. That these validators are not being operated by the investors themselves. They're actually committing their ETH to a professional staking firm. And that professional staking firm is staking these assets on behalf of these investors. So, the expectation on the part of these investors who are committing big chunks of capital in the form of ETH is that these validator nodes are going to be operated in an appropriate manner and they're going to earn their staking rewards almost programmatically. But there have been instances where there has been. You know, mismanagement of these validator nodes, or there has been malicious activity by these validator nodes. And the consequences for bad acting in the proof of stake world can be significant, right? At risk, especially with you know with Ethereum, is the entire value of the staked Ethereum, right? In the form of a slashing penalty. And so we've worked with two of the largest staking providers in the space to come up and create with create a slashing insurance product, right? That exists to give these institutional clients a source of financial recovery in the event that there are slashing um, penalties. Now, going back to Michael's point, if I have a bunch of Ethereum and let's say I'm staking this Ethereum, and you're looking for a new opportunity to generate additional yield, what we can do now is actually create a slashing insurance product that's denominated instead of it being denominated in USD, which would be, of course, the traditional approach. We can actually denominate that limit in ETH, right? So. Imagine you're staking $10 million worth of ETH. There's a slashing penalty. Your $10 million worth of ETH evaporates, and the insurance company steps in and says, Hey, we're going to give you $10 million worth of USD. Now, if you had the option of taking that recovery in the form of Ethereum, would you take it in Ethereum versus USD? Of course you would. You want your ETH back. So that's a scenario where, number one, the ability for us as a fully regulated insurer in Bermuda to use our license to denominate limits. In something other than fiat gives us a really great opportunity to provide coverage in a way that is far more rational and relevant to the companies operating in this space. But now, $10 million worth of protection is a limit that's bigger than we can retain on a one-off basis on our balance sheet. And so this is where Realm 2, which is our collateralized reinsurance facility, could come into play. We could take, you know, Michael, you as an ETH holder looking to generate a new form of yield, we could take your ETH, put it into a segregated account or a segregated wallet within this collateralized reinsurance facility. It could be held in cold storage and stake to earn a general rate of return, but we would use that as an additional source of capacity for our balance sheet so that we could go to market with a $10 million limit. And if at the end of that policy period, let's say 12 months later, there are no losses, not only have you generated rewards by staking your ETH throughout the course of the policy period, but you've now also given yourself the opportunity to generate underwriting profit mm-hmm. on the basis of putting those assets to work through a reinsurance infrastructure like Realm Two.
0: So this is all so interesting, but it, it seems predicated, of course, on the fact that Bermuda is this locus, this you know ideal kind of island that that's really innovated in this insurance space and provided a structure, you know, regulatory and policy environment, and all of that to help this be. A thriving and flourishing ecosystem. How does that relate to the rest of the world? Is it the case that if you're engaging with a system, let's talk about the Ethereum ecosystem, for example, can you lay claim on these kinds of things as a general matter if you don't have a nexus to Bermuda? How does global insurance work? And how do you think about the requirements of other jurisdictions to benefit from the innovation you're talking about?
1: Yeah, it, it's a really great question, and it's a big macro question in terms of how insurance and reinsurance regulation works. Um, to Bermuda's credit, they created this license class as part of their you know, insurance license class system called an IIGB license, which is an acronym that stands for Innovative Insurer General Business. So for us, having an IIGB license, and we were the first and second insurance entities to obtain the IIGB license class. That means that we can transact insurance on chain and off chain, denominated in fiat or crypto. But most importantly, the IIGB license comes with a solvency framework, right? In Bermuda, we call it the BSCR, the Bermuda Solvency Capital Ratio, that actually takes into consideration capital charges for crypto that we hold on our balance sheet. So instead of just calling all crypto garbage and discounting it to zero for solvency purposes, the bma actually has a perspective on which cryptos can generate the smallest capital charge all the way to the other opposite end of the spectrum to those cryptos that really actually probably aren't worth zero for solvency purposes. and so that level of perspective from a regulatory body actually puts us in a position to have very constructive conversations with the bma on exactly how we bring these solutions to market. and when you look at concerns related to asset liability matching, you know, that's the biggest concern people say oh you're transacting insurance you know denominated in crypto that that seems so volatile well it it would be volatile if we were offering a usd limit backed by doge right like if doge plummets in value then you could argue we've lost all of the you know that matching capability that we'd otherwise have if it we're dollar limit backed by dollar reserve Um, But when you're talking about issuing an ETH-denominated limit backed by ETH reserves, that's actually a perfectly appropriate way to match the liability with assets. And so the, the benefit really of being in Bermuda is that you have the same regulatory body in the Bermuda Monetary Authority that has overseen some of the largest balance sheets in the reinsurance space, some of the most kind of alternative reinsurance transactions over the last 40 years, and it happens to be the same regulatory body that is overseeing the licensing of digital asset businesses. So they know the terminology, they know the nuances of the industry. They're keenly aware of the role that insurance and reinsurance needs to play in order for adoption by traditional finance and mass adoption by you know, the retail space is going to be required in order to make that happen. And, and, and they've built a great framework around that. So they're way ahead of the game, I would say, from a regulatory standpoint.
0: And, you know, what's what you're describing, really, it sounds like, Joe, is the ability for Bermuda to play a major role in stabilizing the global digital economy through this mechanism, which is something I think is just, you know, it's it's just worth repeating almost, right? Like, that's a huge uh, role, an important kind of thing when you think about the stability that's really needed. To your point, I mean, you know, jokes aside, like, whether it's Doge, whether it's ETH, whether it's whatever it is, you can... Um, Opt for that kind of service. And, and the other thing about insurance, of course, is that you can create, insurers rather, can create incentives for certain kinds of behavior, right? So, uh, you know, good driving discounts, or, you know, you, you worried about your penalties premiums going up if you, you know, get a speeding ticket or whatever it is. How do you think about that in a digital asset economy? Like, how do you think about incentives for, let's call it good behavior? And how do you define that?
1: You know, it's another really good point. And a lot of it comes down to kind of the incentive right now is, Is that we're going to provide insurance coverage for your, you know, for your operations, right? So that's kind of a pretty basic incentive. But to your point, we're we're, you know at an opportunity in the market right now where um, prospective insurers will come to us and say, "Listen, we're getting ready to launch a proprietary custody solution, and we want to make sure that this custody solution is architected in a manner that is positioned as favorably as possible for insurance." So, what are those points of sensitivity? that detract insurance capacity from proprietary custody solutions. right? So essentially, how can we eliminate the single point of failure concern in the way that we're onboarding digital assets? What kind of threshold mechanisms can we put in place to ensure the assets exposed to hot storage custody are always going to be restricted to a certain... And so in that sense, you have this not uncommon evolution already that we're seeing within the digital asset space where Insurance and risk management is actually playing a role in how the next evolution of these solutions is going to be implemented and rolled out uh, in a way that is more insurable going forward than it has been historically, if that makes sense.
2: Yeah, like I think it's it's just such an interesting way to frame the problem, right? We had Chainalysis come out last week and confirm that October was, in fact, the worst month. Uh, in history, for for hacks uh, of smart contracts, but of course, you know there are there are lots that have been functioning for a very long time and, and perfectly well, right? So you know, we're creating all these vulnerabilities, I think, by rolling out so many different new, you know, composable, not necessarily ready for rhyme t- prime time type products, and then you've also got you know sometimes founders who don't behave very well. But if you've got this sort of really powerful financial incentive to to not do that. Uh, or, or rather, to, you know, in- incentives to be able to benefit from growing it. You know, it's, it's a really interesting way to think about how how this some normalcy can be brought to it all. One last point before we go, though, just you know, I, I think, and you talked to me a little bit about the traditional insurance business and, and how it's facing its own crisis right now, with this, you know, the, a couple of massive big storms coming through uh, again. How much funding is going to have to come in to re up the reinsurance business? And whether or not there's actually a role for crypto
1: to, to, to play in that. Just talk us through that, and then we have to wind it up. Sure. So, if you, you know in reinsurance land, 1 1 is a huge period, right? That's where a, a lot of the reinsurance capacity renews. And coming up on 1 1 this year, from a cat uh, capacity perspective in the reinsurance world, there's about $20 billion worth of catastrophe reinsurance that's coming up for renewal. And because of the way that the property markets have played out over the last 12 years, depending on who you talk to, there's likely going to be a massive shortfall on that 20 billion, and not like maybe 10 billion. We're talking about potentially 2 to $3 billion worth of capacity that is on the table for renewal. So where does that shortfall come from? Certainly, you could go knocking on doors in the traditional kind of alternative capital world to try to, you know, to fill up the coffers. But I would argue with reinsurance infrastructure, like our collateralized reinsurance facility, there's such an amazing opportunity to demonstrate the use of a new asset class to create a new source of much needed capacity for risks that actually are traditional, that have been around forever, um, but actually need the support of a new form of collateral and capacity that I think would be an amazing story to be able to tell.
2: Yeah, I could just, all of a sudden, we, we've been struggling, Sheila. You know, we've talked about this quite a bit in the crypto winter. What are the real world use cases for crypto? Like the idea that my staked ETH is now the collateral for the reinsurance of the catastrophe insurance that's needed to make sure that Florida can rebuild its houses—it's kind of pretty interesting, you know. Like it's—it's it's like you know we keep talking about these real-world use cases, and I just that struck me when I, when I heard that it's like th- there's an interesting play, and there are literally hundreds of billions of dollars worth of these assets there to be deployed. So, really interesting way to think about how all of these pieces come together. Thank you very much, Joe, for, for talking us through it, giving me a, a different perspective on what the path forward is for this uh, and the role that jurisdictions like Bermuda can play, this very creative role in this. So I'm, I'm looking forward to, to hearing more all, all about it. Thank you, Sheila, once again for joining us. Sorry you couldn't be here with us. And thank you to all of you listeners, uh, once again, for, for listening in. Make sure you come back next week for another edition of Money Reimagined. See you later.
0: You've been listening to Money Reimagined. Today's show has been produced and edited by Michelle Mousseau. Announcements by Abby Levine and our executive producer is Jared Schwartz. Our theme song is by Shepard. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, Money Reimagined, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. And from all of us at Coindesk and the Money Reimagined team, thanks for listening.